Hey there, and welcome to the Punched and Played podcast, the sometimes funny, sometimes analytical podcast all about board games and the unique experiences they create. I'm one of your hosts, Sean Rose, along with Jonathan Baker. Hey, hey. And Clint Broadbent. Hey. How are you guys doing tonight? Doing good. Fantastic. Glad to be here. Let's talk about some of the recent games you guys have been playing. All right. Well, I've actually been able to get back into gaming a little bit and got to play some Elder Sign the other night. Uh, oh yeah, that was a. You were just so excited to play that. Didn't have to twist your arm at all. Um, <laughs> I don't know why I played this probably about four or five times, and it's just not one of my favorites. I do like Elder Tor quite a bit, and I've only played Arkham once, but Elder Sign is fine. I just feel like I don't have enough decisions to make, or I have not enough control over what I'm doing. And uh, by the end of the game, I kind of felt that way, too. That that game was absolutely brutal. In all honesty, it was pretty rough. We played with the new Gates of Arkham expansion. Uh, it kind of reminded me a little bit of Legendary Encounters, where you have the alien cards that are played face down. Mm-hmm. In this, the adventure cards you go to, half of them at the start of the game are face down. And they represent different locations in Arkham itself. And so to go there, the back of the card will have some type of special thing that you can do. Or it will have a midnight effect. So if it's laying face down and has a midnight effect, it will trigger. However, you have to go there to flip it over. But sometimes the midnight effect can be even worse on the front side. So, Yeah, we had some pretty terrible events and some pretty terrible effects and some gates open and we just... And monsters. It was just, it was out of control. Well, we also play with the Elder God that every time that we failed an adventure, the adventure card was removed from the game and never replaced. Wow. It was, it was awful. Bad choice. <laughs> I like it. I, I'm excited. I want to actually try the, the expansion. One of the things I found that I like that makes for a good cooperative game are dice. I love dice. I love dice in, in cooperative games. It adds that element, it adds that luck that. You know, I've seen more high fives and, ch- and screaming and excitement when dice are being rolled than most other cooperative games. So, Yeah, the game was really, really brutal. What was really interesting is this is actually the very first game of Elder Sign I've ever lost. Yay! I know! It's something about a curse between Jonathan and myself. Anytime we play a cooperative <laughs> game, we always lose. So I don't know what it was. It could have been the combination of the, the Elder God we were fighting or... I know that the Arkham adventures do make it more difficult, substantially so. But I I was really looking for that in this expansion because I felt like the base game was too easy. And I know they've tried to circumvent that with adding adding in new old ones to, to fight, but... Has that been your experience? Yeah, every single time I play, I always I always seem to win when we play the board game. But the app is uh, whenever I play the app, I seem to get they just mop the floor with me. Yeah, and I honestly I love playing the app because I weirdly I like to lose. I want to have a hard uh, I want to have a hard cooperative game. I want you know I want to have that excitement when I win. And not like it was it's like a puzzle, and I I know I'm going to win. I just got to figure out the right move. So I I kind of go back and forth on that. You hear, heard it here first. Clint likes to lose. Woo woo. <laughs> That's the thing with with the app. Jonathan, have you played the you played the application, right? Yes. And you don't like it anymore. <laughs> well, it's fine. It was on my old phone, and I switched. Uh, company so now i have i don't have it on my new phone so uh it was fine i didn't do very well the few times i played it it was pretty tough it is tough and the downloadable content you could get which added on some adventures so if when you were going against cthulhu for example you had to go off and there was a whole subset where you had to go off and get supplies to be able to go off into the sea to be able to find different aspects so it added a little bit more of a narrative part to it but it was also giving you some more challenges it wasn't just you're in the museum but then you had to get enough clues to be able to then go off and find the information you needed to be able to stop cthulhu from coming out and there's the other one i think it's i'm going to butcher it uh, uh, thiqua i think the one that's you know the frozen one uh you had to go off and again you're trying to rescue a member of a research team and it that one is super duper tough um, i have yet to win that one 100 percent on in the application but when i played the actual physical board game have never lost but playing with jonathan uh seems to be the cure to that <laughs> and interestingly, I had played it with my wife as a two-player game, just the two of us playing one one investigator each, and we won really no problem. Wow. But I think it was really the the Elder God we were fighting that was the problem. Glint, have there been any games you've been playing recently? 
Well, this week I have nothing to report. We've had a couple sick daughters uh, in our thing, and my wife keeps telling me I've been I've been a good husband. My wife keeps saying, "You just name the game, Clint, and we're gonna play it." I'm so excited. And every single time I put my daughter down and we make sure she's got her medicine and stuff, uh, I go and I'm picking the game and my wife is out, just a sawn logs. I've already I've already built up enough brownie points. I promise I'll have more to uh, report next week. Well, that's just completely unacceptable. So <laughs> no gaming for Clint. Uh-huh. Sad day. Uh-huh. I know we can't really talk a whole lot about it because we're, we're involved with a play test uh, for another game. But it's been a really positive experience, so hopefully once we're out of the non-disclosure agreement, we can actually talk about this, because I'm actually really, really happy with the beginning games I've been able to play with it. It's another John Gilmore game. Yeah, we got to play test instead of Winter whenever it was being play tested by Plot Hat, and we were very, very impressed with that. And I think this is, it's very different from that, the, the previous game, but it's, it's, it's very good. Anything else we want to talk about? Any uh, any positive gaming experiences that you've had recently, Jonathan? Uh, Elder Sign was fine. Uh, other than that, uh, I played Legendary, Marvel, and it was fine. Uh, it's one of those games that I really, really look forward to getting, and I've played it quite a bit, but I kind of find it mediocre. It's um, it's either too easy or it's, or it's challenging, or if you get too many players going, like, for example, the five-player account, yeah, I find it very, very difficult to win it. So, I mean, if it's a two-player, it's one of those games with a, as a two-player game, I think it's fine and it's pretty fast other than the setup, the teardown, and it's it's reasonable. But with more players than that, it can kind of get a little bit slow and, and a little bit dull. So we played with three players, right? Yes. And that was just too much? It was fine. That was fine. Don't play it with five players. That's my advice. None of the Arkham Eldritch games... Uh, I can't fathom doing it with eight players. That would just be torture. But maybe that's what the designers are going for, to bring in the terror that you're fighting by playing with eight players. You lose to sanity. Yeah, just by trying to do it with eight players. That's so true. Uh, the, the thing is is that I felt like the Arkham uh, Gates of Arkham actually added something that was different. I, I liked that kind of you're exploring Arkham. It reminded me of Arkham Horror Light to a certain extent. I know you're still rolling the dice, but there's a lot of dice rolling in Arkham as well. But you really feel like it's just not capturing that feel of Arkham. I, For me, it's just I find the dice too random. and I'm, I'm, I feel like I'm a dice guy, but still, I feel like it's too random, and I just don't have enough control, enough way to mitigate the luck. Well, how do you mitigate game. the luck in with Arkham and the Eldritch? Because you're still rolling dice. They're not fancy dice. I feel like I'm able to get some some more items or I have some skills that are more beneficial. I mean, I realize you have skills in Elder, but I just, I don't know. I just haven't felt like I've been able to mitigate the luck enough in that game. Yeah, for me, I I actually, I have Elder signed in my collection. I don't have Arkham Horror, and I always have it on the top, like really high up on my wish list. But I really feel like... The reason why Elder Sign is in my collection and Arkham isn't is because I want that Arkham feel in 45 minutes. And I can get that and I, I, I get the feeling. It's like I just I'm excited f- to come for like Halloween to break this game out because it just fits that theme so well. But again, 45 minutes, I, I, I can't I have a, don't have a lot to complain about that. So absolutely. One other thing I wanted to kind of talk about was some recent things going on in board game news. The one thing that really caught my attention is the New York Toy Fair. Plaid Hat teased a new game that they're working on by Jerry Hawthorne called Tail Feathers. Have you guys been able to see any of this? I saw the box cover, I think it was, or some piece of art. And I've heard Jerry talk about Project TF, as he calls it, during some Plaid Hat podcasts and stuff, so... It's nice to know what what exactly he was talking about here. Have you heard anything about it? Yep, I just seen pictures on Board Game Geek. I haven't really looked too much into it. Okay, so they they started tweeting, and the the sculptor who was working on worked on Mice and Mystics and is doing this game. And for those of you that don't know, Tail Feathers is a companion game. It's not an expansion to Mice and Mystics. It's a companion that takes place within the Mice and Mystics world. Mm-hmm. So it's a completely separate game. Have you seen the miniatures? 
saw something riding on a bird. I'm not sure what was riding on it. Yeah, so <laughs> do you know much about what it what you're actually doing in the game, though? Is it kind of mini-combat is what I was kind it of It is. I actually it was uh, scoping out online, kind of trying to get some more information on it, and I found that Jerry actually went onto a HeroScape message board and posted some things about it, so I thought I'd read that off and get, get your impressions. So he writes, Hey, everyone, I just wanted to pop in and mention the new project I've been working on that is inspired by my experiences with HeroScape. As you may know, after my stint as a HeroScape designer, playtester, and community admin, I got involved with Colby at Plat Hat Games and created a little co-op game called Mice and Mystics. But I missed the fun, bring-in-battle qualities that you get with a game like HeroScape, where you can build your army, plan your strategy, study the terrain, and go head-to-head against a clever opponent. So my next game is called Tail Feathers. It is a skirmish miniature game that involves flying units and ground units as well. Remember that old video game Joust? Well, this is just like the old game mixed with Mice and Mystics. Draft your army, deploy your troops, plan your strategy, and battle it out. So it's trying to channel aspects of Heroescape, and I have personally never played Heroescape. Tragedy. Tragedy? I'm missing out? Yes. I think my wallet's very happy that I'm not involved in it. <laughs> Especially since everything's out of print now. Heroescape is another game that I've done two runs up with. I had the base set when it first came out, and then I got out of gaming completely for a while, uh, got rid of all my stuff, and then picked up the base set again and a few extra little bits off of eBay uh, for a reasonable price. I didn't, didn't, go, didn't go crazy. But it's, it's a fun little game. I don't play it very often, but I love the terrain. I love drafting the units. I kind of love the simplicity and the variety of it all. Have you uh, ever played the video game Joust? I have not. Is that where you are riding like the ostrich uh, yes. down? Yes. I yes, with the lava pits and yes. things like that. I remember that. I played it on uh, the original NES system. Wow. Yeah. Old school. Old school, yes. And it was a, I think it was an arcade game yeah, as well. Yeah, I think I played it in the arcade. Yeah. So I'm, I'm intrigued by this. I Of the three here, I think I am the most in love with Mice and Mystics. We all own it, though. Yes. Yes. I love, you know, I love that world. I love that art. Uh, some of the gameplay falls a little bit flat for me compared to, like, you know, Imperial Assault. But it's, it's a great game. Absolutely. And the way I've described it is that Mice and Mystics is charming. And I think that is what just really sells me. And the fact that it has that narrative aspect, I know that Tail Feathers probably will not have that aspect. It's a completely different game. But I think that's the thing about Mice and Mystics that really draws me. I love the idea that there is a story that's being told through it, and it's a concrete story. I, I really like narrative in games, and that's something that's what really drives me towards it. Now, I agree with you that I feel like the Imperial Assault, in terms of a gameplay standpoint, is a stronger game, but I think it's trying to accomplish different things. Yeah. When when My Mystics came out, I played it at Gen Con, and I played it, and I was kind of the same way. I was captivated by it. Not like I didn't say, like, the gameplay didn't blow me away, but I was like, I think my daughter had just been born. My first daughter had just been born, and I said to myself, man, I can't wait to play this game with her. I am so excited. And I mean, I'm not going to play it with it probably for another five more years, but that game is one that it's almost like it's like this, you know, it's really fitting how like there's a, you know, the dad's telling the boy a story mm-hmm. at the start. Cause I just feel like there's that connection of, you know, you want your kids to play. So I, I'm, I still, I have it. I've played a few of the scenarios. Everybody I play with loves it. It is a little bit simple, but it's going to be one of the first games I play with my daughter. So absolutely. And when we were at uh, BGG Con this last year at Plaid Hat Games, uh, Isaac Vega worked worked his magic on me. He didn't have to work that hard, but he got me to buy the uh, Downwood Tales expansion. I'm still trying to get through all the all the chapters, and I've got the previous expansion, so I've got my work cut out for me. But they also were selling the plush toys of Prince Colin and Lily as well. So when I was walking in, we were like, oh, gosh, they're $30. And I was like, oh, if they were $20, I'd buy one. And I go up there, and I ask Colby how much it is. He's like, oh, they're, we're selling them for $20 here. And I'm like, dang it. I'm <laughs> 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 a man of my word. So I gave him the 20 and I brought home Prince Colin to my son Logan, and he sleeps with that thing every night. Aww, uh, right. he, he knows that it's associated with the board game, and he wants to play the Prince Colin game. Oh, we did actually – I helped him play one of the chapters – he was hooked, so I think I've got a, a partner in crime once he's a little bit older. So I'm excited. That's awesome. So I'm definitely looking forward to seeing what comes, but I mean, I, 
I love Plat Hat Games. Uh, they're probably my favorite publisher at this point. Uh, the other thing that's caught my eye is the Ghostbusters board game. What? <laughs> Have you seen much on this? Just a tiny, tiny, tiny bit. I saw I saw the sticker price, and I was like, it's expensive, but I like the theme. Yeah, uh, $80 for the base set, $125 for the full kit and caboodle. I didn't know if you guys are fans of Ghostbusters at all. Not a hardcore fan, but I, I, I love the uh, I love the IP. But the board game, there's always it's just you just want to be a Ghostbuster. That would be cool. Now, isn't it based on some system or something from another game? People are comparing it to Zombicide. Okay, okay. I That's don't. What I I, yeah. I've never played Zombicide, so I do not know if it's similar to that. Zombicide has never really captured my attention that much. Have either of you played that game? I played it once. I have played it once also. Did you care for it much? Zombies. Uh, <laughs> I I have zombieitis, but I thought it was a good game. I would not. I could not play another game that is wasn't Dead of Winter, and I love Dead of Winter, and I I think it's such a good game in spite of it being a zombie game. I'm not a huge zombie fan. Well, the zombies are the backdrop to that entire. That game, which yeah. is what really sells me. I'm not a super huge fan of zombies, but again, it's more about dealing with other people in that situation that really sells Dead of Winter for me. So another Plat Hat game that we're plugging on here. So <laughs> Sponsored by the Plat Hat Podcast. <laughs> Feel free to give us copies of games to review. <laughs> we love you, Colby. So, I, I don't know. The idea of taking kind of a beloved franchise... I was intrigued by it, but when I looked, they released a gameplay video today. I'm not wowed by the gameplay. It just seems like it's a little lackluster to me. The theme sounds amazing, but I just don't know if it's something that I would be willing to spend $80 on. One thing that I that hits me is I'm, I feel the same way. Is I can't believe how much I've grown as a gamer. I found that a game needs to be fun. Is the, you know it needs to be a good game first for me in order for me to enjoy it. If it's going to be longer than like thirty minutes, so I kind of feel the same way. Is that usually I'd be the first one to to jump on the the gravy train, but now I'm a little bit more reserved. Or like let's wait and see. You know, if it's a good game, maybe I'll buy it when it comes out. But I'm kind of the same way. I think that we've all kind of grown up a little bit to not just like just jump head first every single time we see an IP that we love. Yeah. One thing that people have been jumping on about this is they're criticizing that it's designed by Cryptozoic. And I don't really think that's a really a fair shake. I don't I have a couple of Cryptozoic games. They're not mind blowingly amazing games. I I have the Penny Arcade deck builder. I I like that. It's got crude humor but i don't know i think i like the art style a lot more than it's for me it's a little bit more interesting in terms of dominion i know that's blasphemy for some people but i like it a little bit more than uh just the generic theme of dominion and i think i have food fight yeah yeah so do you have you guys have any opinions on cryptozoic I really don't have much opinion i don't know that i have any of their games so i've played both the games you just mentioned with you and they were fine. Yeah, that's the thing. I think I think they're they're a fine publisher. I think they they're going for different things than other publishers are going for. I think that actually lends to a different, a bigger conversation. In that, like when we just be talking about talking about Plat Hat, mm-hmm. I have not played a Plat Hat game that I have not loved and that wasn't really rock solid. Mm-hmm. You know, I've played a couple of Cryptozoic games that the game was so-so, but the theme was cool, mm-hmm. and they do a lot of licensed games. So I think that you're, I think there's something to be said there of a reputation of a, a, a publishing uh, company is you're looking at it and saying, oh, some plat hat, you know, your, your ears perk up and say, I'm going to take notice on this, mm-hmm. you know, and I have, you know, I always know that usually Z-Man usually puts out a solid game probably not always an interesting game but a solid game i mean every i think every publisher has a reputation i think that's really important for selling a lot of games you know Mm -hmm. people will see cryptozoic and some people will be like i'm buying it because i'm a cryptozoic guy but i think that's a bigger thing i think we should probably discuss that maybe another time that sounds like a great idea the thing interesting thing is that the ghostbusters game it's already been funded it's well over its mark some people are estimating it's going to make a million dollars essentially in in sales mainly because of the licensing 
uh, there's enough people that are interested in that particular theme. Didn't I hear that Conan hit three million or something? I did not look and see about uh, Conan, but three million. Yeah. Well, I don't think it's going to hit three million, but. Uh, <laughs> So we'll go ahead and move into our core topic for today. So the central topic, we want to figure out what are the games we really want to play, but don't. Here at Punched and Played, we're very interested in making sure that the games that we actually purchase, we actually end up playing them. So we want to punch them and play them. Games we want to play, but for whatever reason, we just can't get them to the table. So who wants to start with this? I can jump in. Do we want to do multiples at a time or kind of alternate off? We can alternate okay. off. The first one that came to my mind was Android Netrunner. It's a great uh, LCG living card game by Fantasy Flight, uh, kind of a reprint uh, of the uh, Richard Garfield original. I played. I think I played the original quite a bit when it first came out. So whenever I heard this reprint was coming out, this kind of reimagining of the game, in the Android universe. I jumped on it, grabbed the base box, grabbed a few. I probably have maybe four of the expansions. But unfortunately, the people I play the most with, which would be my kids at home, do not care for the game for some reason. So I cannot get them to play it with me. My wife didn't care for her one play of it. A few people in our game group bought it and then traded it away. So it's been... uh, Difficult to find plays of this, and it's one of those games where you can't just... I I do some solo gaming, but this is one you just... There's no really no way you can play it solo. So it's one that I would love to get back out on the table again. And it's kind of getting to that point where I've never actually really sold any games, or I've only traded maybe one or two games off. And so it's getting to the point where is this one going to find its way to the chopping block just because of lack of play? And I will admit, I am one of the guilty parties that traded off Android Netrunner. Here's the thing. It is an awesome game. I love this game. My wife actually got it for me for Christmas one year. She got it dirt cheap on Amazon. I think she got it for like uh, $20 or something like that. Wow. She didn't realize what she was buying, though. She knew I was interested in it. Uh, Yeah, it was just she wasn't willing to put in the time. Since it's really an exclusively a two-player game, that makes it very challenging. But I really do. I got to, I've got to been able to play it a full game once. But that one game, I loved it. The problem is, I just knew I would not be able to get the play that it deserves. I, I jumping on that actually, Netrunner was one of mine. But I actually lumped that up with Netrunner, uh, the Lord of the Rings card game, Battlecon. I actually kickstarted the original Battlecon. Really love the idea, and a lot. I, there are some two-player games that just need to be played, and I think that those. I, I, same thing is I haven't played Netrunner in in an age. I haven't played Lord of the Rings. I bought two of the base copy to like start building decks. I was all in, but it's just so hard with a two-player with a two-player thing. When we started having children, me and my wife used to play games all the time, and now it's just like. I'm going to bed, I'm so tired, and I just don't get to play that. And then when I get together, I want to play with you guys. Mm-hmm. And, you know, there are three of us here. There are other really great guys at our, at our gaming group. So sometimes it's just hard to say. It's like, wow, I have all my friends here. I'm just going to take one of you, and we're going to go hide away and play a two-player game. You know, as fun as that is. Well, Jonathan's about to have a conniption over here because he's dying to have someone play the Lord of the Rings card game with him. Well, that's the second game on my list. <laughs> <laughs> we, me and uh, me and Jonathan share the same mic and the same brain. So there you go. And then uh, just one other thing, I just want to plug in here, and this is one that I, this is my hill to die on, is Mage Wars. By Arcane Wonders. Another two-player game. Another two-player game. I bought this game. I traded for this game. And I adore this game to the point where I have said, I will play this game. I've bought all the expansions. I'm still trying to track down one. But I'm going to continue to buy this game. Uh, We're going to play this game. I really love it. I think it's special. And so that is one that I don't play it enough. But I will play it. So I, I, I am definitely definitely going to keep that one. So. You, you've said multiple times you're all in on Mage Wars. I'm all in, and I'm sticking to that. All right. Well, we've got three, three, three of us have copies now, so we got to get something working here. Mm-hmm. Did you want to talk a little bit about the uh, Lord of the Rings card game since it's already been brought up? 
Yeah, uh, the Lord of the Rings living card game. Once again, another living card game. Now, the the difference with this one is I have played it quite a bit solo. So I've gotten it to the table. Um, I actually only have one adventure of the ones I own that I haven't gotten to play yet. The third one of the Cause of Doom series. But everything else I own, I've played of it. Mostly solo, though. I mean, I've had my kids play it with me a little bit. I played it a little bit with game groups. I got to play a game of it at BGGCon. But it's one that I... If I had to rate my games, it's actually probably my number one currently ranked game. And I just don't feel like I get to play it enough, and certainly not with other people. So why do you think that is? As far as getting to play it? Yeah. I, I don't know who else is interested in it. I mean, I've tried. I've brought it out a couple times. One of our other game group played it with me, but then he moved away. So sorry, Francisco. Francisco. So you you played it a little bit? Um, yeah, I actually, like I said, I, I bought the ba- I bought two copies of the base game because I just I love Lord of the Rings, I love cooperatives. I really came from a CCG background, and I was just like, this is this is awesome. I ended up playing all the the things. We actually beat all the challenges or all the scenarios in the first base set um, with my best friend, and we just had we had a blast. But then all of a sudden we're like, we can't wait for the ne- next expansion. And then we just, we were part of the cult of the new. And my friend just it was like, my friend was always like, hey, let's play this new game or whatever. And I'm like, no, let's, let's try this new thing. So I love it. I love cooperative games. I love that cooperative thing. And I just love Lord of the Rings. And I still know what there is, is to not love about it. The problem with that game is it's one of those games where uh, for one person to own a copy of it, and just kind of bring it over to other people. It's it's it, part of the fun is building your own deck, yeah. and so just being handed a deck is fine, and it's still a fun game. But part of the fun is designing that deck and and testing it out and seeing how it'll work. So if somebody doesn't actually have the game and they don't have their own decks, there's just a little bit of the excitement missing for them. And I, I concur with that because the one time I have played the Lord of the Rings card game was that very situation where I was we did a four player game but I really wasn't that invested in it it was it was it was fine but I I knew that there was something more to it I was missing some of that magic that I saw that you and Francisco obviously loved about this game I'd be definitely willing to give it another shot though I think it could definitely be worth exploring a little bit more so I'm not sure it's gonna be something I would want to buy for myself because I think I've learned that living card games are not for me I don't know. I, I even though you can play the game with just the base set, there's still that desire to buy new sets, and I just don't want to go down that rabbit hole. When are we putting another game order in? <laughs> yeah. Well, we'll talk about that. <laughs> you guys both mentioned Android Netrunner. I'm gonna go back to the beginning and bring up Android. <laughs> ah. Obviously, Netrunner existed before Android ever existed, but they decided to re- Fantasy Flight decided to retheme an- the Netrunner game to take place within the Android universe. Have either of you played Android? Not me. No, that's another one that was three hours. It was like a big investment game, but I've heard it's really good. It's it's a unique game. Mm-hmm. I think there's a bit of an investment because it does take a while, mm-hmm. but the whole cyberpunk sort of noir feel to it of, again, the light and dark cards. So essentially, in order for you to play positive cards on yourself, you actually have to balance this out. So anytime you play the light cards, it's actually going to have to play some dark cards on other people to kind of be able to play the positive cards for you. So you actually kind of have to be a jerk to other people just so you can achieve your own agendas. And there's a little bit of a narrative feel to it as well. So each character is kind of asymmetrical, so it has different mechanics, you have different backstories, different things you're trying to accomplish. And the things that you go through, the choices you make, will influence what path your narrative takes. It's not super-duper in-depth narrative, but I think it does something unique that I haven't really seen before. It's just, there aren't a lot of great film noir games out there. I don't feel like a good detective game, and this is definitely more of a futuristic detective game. And you're trying to figure out who the guilty party is in terms of there's a different scenario. But it's really not about trying to figure out who the actual murderer is. It's actually almost like trying to follow your your instincts. You're each dealt a card about who you think is innocent and who you think is guilty. And you're trying to put evidence on them 
to try to get uh. the person you think is guilty. So it's really not trying to solve the mystery. It's more like, I believe this is the case. I'm going to, you know, put false evidence in there or whatever, or real evidence that you find that you think to, to build your case up. So is there an actual guilty party? There is an actual guilty party, but it's based upon the number of guilty points that you put on the person. So actually, majority will win. Whoever has the most guilty uh, tokens on them will end up being the guilty party. But it's not predetermined. Okay. So it's something sort of like, is it to call or whatever, where you, uh, you're you looking for something and you kind of narrow down where it is and where you what you play kind of? Or am I thinking of Tobago? That's Tobago. Tobago, I'm thinking of. It's different. It's really hard to explain a little bit, but we'll have to play it for you to actually be able to experience it. There was a there was one period of time I was I think I was off for an entire week, or mm-hmm. there was a period of time my my wife and my kids were out out of town, and I had the whole place to myself, and I had no one to meet with. So I said, "Let's come over and let's play a game we don't ever get to play." And I had uh, I had it all set up. Android was ready to go, and then it just never happened. So, yeah. but. The time commitment, that's the big issue I have. It's just really hard to be able to get that game out. But yeah. it's a very unique game. Not a, I wouldn't call it a great game, but it, it does things I've never seen any other, other board game do before. I would definitely like to try it sometime. Yeah. You got you got two you got two players here. Well, that's the curse of trying to find a three-hour period of time that we're actually yeah. willing to do it. And it may actually take less time than that, but I think explain the mechanics and whatnot and going from there. But... Even the movement, you have a little car. It's like a little ruler, and you have to, it's a little arch, and you have to move based upon how fast your car is. Oh, it's X-Wing. Sort of. of. But, yeah, you can actually upgrade your car to a sports car, so you can actually travel farther distances. And there's a beanstalk that leads to the moon, and it's it's crazy stuff. I mean. All right. Yeah. (laughs) It's it's an interesting universe. Have you guys done two already? Yeah. I, uh, for me, I I guess I'm going to throw out this, because I'm going to piggyback on on yours as Pretty much, you said you know, any ep- epic game that's like three hours or more. I just love those games, and like three of my favorite games are Eclipse, Dominant Species, and Merchant of Venus. I'm sorry, Dominant Species looks atrociously boring. Oh, I love that game. I love it, and it's so weird because I don't like direct inter. I don't like a lot of interact. I don't like like going after people, but this game would just make sense. I will get you guys to play it. I know, same thing with Eclipse. I'll get you guys to play at least once because you got to have the experience. But I, I know that feeling, though, is that these games are so fun. But they're three- to four-hour games. And with our schedules and stuff, you know, I get together, and we're, we have plenty of four hours to game, but you almost don't want to spend it all on one game. You know, it's almost like you have to make it an event. Like I said, those are the three games that I buy and I know to myself, I tell myself, I'm like, if I can play this once a year, it will fulfill its responsibility in my in my collection. And I look at it and say, oh, I just really want to play it. And so those epic games are just, are just tough, are just tough. They are. Now, Jonathan, can you pull the great Karnak on me and tell me what my, one of my next games will be? I'm afraid I cannot. Oh, you got to channel back to BGGCon. Why'd I have it in my bag the whole time? Alchemist. I didn't have Alchemist in my bag. Just kidding. Just kidding. <laughs> if he had Alchemist in his bag, he was stealing it. <laughs> Just kidding. Uh, that would be uh, Civilization. Correct. Sid Meier. Yeah. Oh. So I I like I like the video game. I was really interested in this. I got it back when it first came out in 2010. I've played it once. <laughs> mm-hmm. But it's, it's awesome. It's being able to, the fog of war, not being able to see with the terrain when you explore it, flip it over, and you get to see what does some neat things. Mm-hmm. But again, being kind of an epic civilization game, it's just difficult to get to the table. All the way to BGG Con, I was reading the re- rules, refreshing, I was ready to go. I'm like, this is going to be my best opportunity to play this game. Never happened. After after day one, I was like, I'm just going to leave this in the car. <laughs> yeah. I've actually played it. I actually owned it at one mm-hmm. point. I got it for a Secret Santa one time, and uh, I really liked the game. But it was one of those things that we played. 
We played and we had a great time, but my friend just did a military thing and just had like the perfect cards and just tromped their, um, to my other friend. And he was just so sour on it. Mm-hmm. I was like, it's over. Like there is no one in this valley that will play this game with me. And I, the same thing is I love civilization games. Love, love, love them. I just feel like sometimes like when I I always get close to buying nations because I love civilization games and I keep wanting to keep probing out saying if I press the buy button you have to promise to play this with me at least twice you've made that agreement multiple times yes with us. I'm, I'm hovering the finger over the button we haven't held up our end of the bargain with some of your games I'm afraid yes it's true <laughs> you need to be more assertive and like we're playing this yes you signed a contract <laughs> uh-huh. but yeah I, I totally understand and again I will any civilization building game I'm always in. I just love that theme. Well, I, what I really like is that there's the multiple paths to victory. Technology pyramid that they do, kind of like their, their take on the technology trees that, you, that are in, within the video game. I really love that, that you have to be able to build a level two. You have to have two level ones build up on top of it. Mm-hmm. You have to be able to support the upper levels by building the bases. So I, I think that's really awesome. And that's even a one way you can actually win is that you can actually build the highest level and uh, get space travel that's accomplished awesome. you can actually win the game as well so mm-hmm. it's a very neat game do you have any interest in civilization games at all jonathan uh i had the original civilization back on the really really old computers and played that and loved it uh enjoyed it that was one of my first big computer games and i've always been interested in like nations and clash of cultures class what uh, clash of cultures clash of cultures um that one's always looked pretty interesting to me Mostly computer games, you know, playing Age of Empires on the computer, playing those kind of games. I've really, really enjoyed those type of games. Do you guys want to go around and tell us your last game? Well, Sean, would you like to guess what my final game is? Uh, Oh. (laughs) Is it really going to be Bruges? Yes! (laughs) No, it's not, actually. Uh, For the longest time, Bruges probably would have been number one on this list of games that I wanted to get to the table and just couldn't get it to the table enough, even though people would play with it several times, but I just... I couldn't get enough enough play out of it, I felt like. but We've played that game a ton. I've kind of reached the point where, yes, I'm kind of a little bit burned out on it, so it's, it's kind of dropped off my want-to-play list, even though I still think it's a great game. So I, I had a hard time picking a third choice, and I would probably have to say Robinson Crusoe would be next. Another one that I've played solo a couple times, but just haven't really played it that much with the group. But every time we have played it, I felt like we've had just a great story. We've had, you know, finding the gold on the island and getting excited and then realizing the gold's useless on the island. It was just, you know, just a mirage. It was a waste of time. We've had the story where, you know, we're on our last wound and we're going to die and we barely slip by and and complete whatever the quest we were on. So I've really enjoyed that one. I've had a lot of fun with it. I would like to uh, finish playing out all the rest of the adventures that I haven't gotten a chance to play. And that's the thing with Robinson Crusoe is I feel like that is another game that tells a great story. It's not a scripted story necessarily, but it tells a really interesting story based upon the event cards and the actions you guys take. Mm-hmm. but And I've been so close to actually purchasing that, but I just know that it's not going to get played. Just kind of, I've seen kind of what you've been going through trying to get it out to the table, but I, I do like Robinson Crusoe quite a bit. Mm-hmm. One of my top five games. I just love it. I, I think that's one of those games that it was the turning point for me of like, I need, I expect more from a Euro now. I expect more now. I need a Euro that's that has to have a, a connection to the theme. It's kind of the same thing with Orleans. I wanted to buy back Orleans, and it was just like, I don't know. Like I said, after after playing Robinson, I'm just like, does it is it going to tell me a story that I can really latch on to? So I think that's what make, makes a game great. Do you yeah. feel like the the game that tells a story is what makes it, yes. makes it great? Yes, I, I think that a great Euro game is one that can tell a story. I think a great Ameritrash game is one that, you know, it's that mix of story and gameplay. If you can find that mix, like you can have a good game with no theme. You can have a good game with with all theme. But to have a great game, I think you have to have a nice mix between 
you know, in between both of them. So I foresee a podcast on this in the future. <laughs> I, I, I'm all for it. I think it's a great one. All right. So what's your third um, game? My last one, like I said, I, I feel bad because, like I said, I can't, I can't just, like, isolate one. But I think that I usually like to, I usually like to group them together. And those are legacy games. Those are the risks. Those are the risk legacy. Those are the uh, those. It's like Star Wars Imperial Assault. Like every single time Jonathan texts us and say, "Oh my gosh, we went to another scenario." I'm like, I'm so jealous. I love that game, but I just don't get to play it because a lot of the times we look at it and we say, you know, I've probably played the first and second missions on uh, Mice and Mystics. I've probably played the first two scenarios two or three times and I just can't get through it because again, it's like, it's that commitment. It's that it's the RPG commitment of, you know, are we going to play this consistently, you know, once every other week or once a month, are we going to get through this scenario? And, uh, and I just love those games. They tell um, an amazing story. I mean, but it's you just that you're just reticent to get those games now. Cause you're like, can I get people to play it with me over a long period of time? Can I get the same group of people together to play with us? So, I mean, I love those games. I think they're great, but those are always ones that I want to get to the table, but they, they always get in the way. Absolutely. And I actually wrote an article that I posted last week on what I feel is the real legacy of Risk Legacy. So it's not on my list since I wrote that article for last week, but mm-hmm. I, I agree with you on that one. Yeah. Amen. So my last game also comes from the year 20. 20- 10. Apparently, this is around the time that my first son was born. And for some reason, I decided I wanted to get these large epic games for some reason. I don't know why I thought this was a good idea. But I, this my last game is Merchants and Marauders. Uh, this I love a good pirate game. Uh-huh. <laughs> and when I first discovered Board Game Geek, I was looking for a good pirate game. I discovered... The lackluster but beautiful Dread Pirate game by uh, Front Porch Classics. It's not a good game. Components are stellar. It's amazing. But there's not any gameplay to back it up. So I was really wanting to look for a, a really strong pirate game. And I, when I discovered it, it was still in development. It got delayed quite a bit. It went through name changes. I think it was Age of Piracy at one point. But when it finally came out, it's like, I've been dying to have this thing. I need to get it. I think we played it twice. It's just, it's that epic feel of it tells a story as you're going ac- going across those rumor cards. You're able to kind of go and explore and see, is it something positive, something negative? It could be to your benefit. You can choose if you want to be a pirate or you can be a, a trader, a merchant. And you can even switch sides if you want to throughout the game. So it definitely captures that piratey feel. It just, again, the theme that connects all, all three of the games that I've chosen is just the time commitment. I just cannot get these to the table because they are more of those epic, long-term games that you would really have to dedicate yourself to to really get the full full enjoyment out of it. What I think we should do is I think that the three of us, three you know, over 12 months, that's four games. That's four games. Maybe like once a month we say... This month is Merchants and Marauders Month or whatever. We can do like a book club and say, you know, hey, listenership, let's play one game and let's all play the same game, see if it still holds up. I think that I would love to get out, like I said, three or four games and we just once a month, we know we're going to play one big three-hour game. Mm -hmm. So I don't know. Well, when Z-Man announced they're putting out an expansion for Merchants and Marauders, I'm like, oh, my gosh, oh. Why would I get this? Because I can't play the base game. But yeah, I, I I love the game. I just I just can't get it played. So I, I like your idea of trying to get get us a dedicated time to play those things. All right. So the final segment that we're gonna do is we're gonna do the punch list again, where I'm going to give you a characteristic of a game, and you have to give me a game that you deem punch worthy. It won't necessarily be the best game, but one you consider to be a favorite. So today's criteria is your favorite deduction game. Same reaction as last time from Clint. These are surprises to us. Yeah, you don't know what's coming. So, Jonathan, you go first. Wow. By deduction, uh, maybe Sherlock Holmes Consulting Detective? Is that deduction? It is. Okay. 
That was fun when we played it. I also kind of like... No, I don't know if that fits the category. Well, how are you defining a deduction game? I, I'm trying to decide. I mean, I'm thinking, you know, the classic clue, trying to figure out, you know, who's got what, who the who the killer is. Other than that, you know, I, I, maybe I'm thinking of hidden roles and, and, and traitor things like resistance too much. Well, I mean, um, in, in, in some form or another, that is a deduction game because part of it is you're trying to figure out who is on your side and who isn't. Don't steal it from me, Jonathan. <laughs> okay, we'll jump in there then. So what did you like about Sherlock Holmes Consulting Detective? The Sherlock Holmes part. <laughs> I like, you know, just trying to figure out which clues are relevant, where to go on the map and try to f- try to find, you know, the people that, that are actually, you know, real real people who are pertain to the case as opposed to the red herrings that are thrown in there. I don't, I don't feel like I did very well at that game, even though we were successful, but I, I did enjoy it. I thought it was a very interesting idea. Absolutely, and I was very happy whenever they put a reprint out of that. So, some people argue that it's not a game. I, I really hate when people have very narrow perceptions or conceptualizations of what a game is. I definitely believe it's a game. It's a different sort of game, but it, it really draws you into the experience because not only do you have the people and places you can go to, but you also have the newspaper articles that have little nuggets, red herrings. But even as you get further into the cases the previous day's newspapers can still have clues for future cases. So you'll as you get, go further in, there'll be more and more information. And you have the map of London, where you have to actually use that to figure out, to deduce where the location of a certain thing is. Have you played Sherlock Holmes Consulting Detective? I have not. Sounds really cool, though. It is. It's a, it is definitely a, a narrative game, because there is no board, essentially. It's... We're different detectives. We're not we're not playing as Sherlock Holmes, but we are working to try to help solve whatever mystery we're working on. So at the very end of the game, we look to see how many steps it took us to get the answer. Did we there are certain questions we have to answer at the very end and we compare ourselves to how well Sherlock does. Mm-hmm. So it's 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 fun. Okay, so I came up with a couple and I'm gonna have to bend the rule not bend them very much, but yeah. My number one, my number one deduction game would have to be uh, Werewolf, if we can, if we can include that. I think it definitely counts. I think it is. I think that there's there's something to be said about the human element and the idea that you know that there there are a certain number of werewolves out there, and you have to find out how to find them is just exhilarating. I think that it's so fun. I mean, I played it with my youth group almost every other week. Like that's all they want to play cuz I think that there's something that drives us when it when it's like we want trying to deduce other people's motives and what they're doing. If I had to go like a straight board game, again, it's a little close, but it's I love Tobago. Love Tobago, and I think that it's one of those unique Type game. It's almost an inductive game. Yeah, because it's almost like reverse deduction because you have to reduce the number of options by playing the games, but there's not a predetermined area where the treasure's at. You're trying to narrow it down to where it could be. Exactly. And I, I don't know. It, it For me, I don't know. As like I said, that inductive that inductive reasoning, I, that, I love that. I think that game makes that game unique that I'm always pretty excited about to play. So uh, I would say werewolf number one, but a, a special nod goes to Tobago. Fair enough. Fair enough. So my favorite deduction game, Mysterium. Yes! (laughs) Yeah. This was my, uh, I don't want to call it my holy grail, but it was, I was the only one in our group that even had, I think had even heard of Mysterium going into uh, the Board Game Geek Con. And so that was the one game I knew I wanted to try. So we went over to Portal Games table and i checked it out i was looking at it they were doing some demos and i got to kind of look at the box and i was like oh it's only in polish i was i was just uncertain like i need to try this and the game was in progress so okay let's go to the hot games room and see how long this game is taking so i think i made a mistake by leaving the portal games table because by the time we actually got to sit down at the hot games table i didn't know how to play the game at all i knew generally what it was but i was trying to read an english translation 
from the Ukrainian version. And the components in the Ukrainian version didn't match the Polish version, and we were trying to figure out. It was almost a deduction game of trying to figure out <laughs> how to make the rules fit because the pieces weren't quite matching up and the colors were different. Played the very first round of that game, and I told the group, I'm like, I need to go buy this game right now. And so I seriously got up, and I didn't run, but I walked as fast as I possibly could to the portal table again. And I, and I see that the boxes are completely gone and i'm like is you completely sold out yep we just sold the last one i'm like that <laughs> so that whole convention i was just beating myself up but i was able to purchase a copy of the game but that game i love it 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 really is a mix of clue meets dixit mm-hmm. that's that's how i sell it to people that know what dixit is but I just love that game. For some reason, I, I just love being the ghost because you cannot talk mm-hmm. as the ghost. And you're the one pretty much giving all the clues and listening to the conversations of you giving them clues about which guilty party or which location. And they'll pick up on a detail that you didn't even recognize. And you're like, oh, my gosh. I would have been brilliant if I had thought of that. Uh-huh. But you went in a different direction. And it's just a wonderful balance of trying to figure out how to get those clues. And then as an investigator or as one of the psychics, trying to d- deduce what clues the ghost is trying to give me. So I really, really love Mysterium. Yeah, I'm pre-ordering that game. I got a, had a chance to play it after BGG Con. And the game is special. I, I really kind of feel that exact same way. I played that, and I'm like, oh, my goodness, I have to own this. And uh, I, I kind of feel the same way, that that feeling of, you know, trying to give people hints. And everybody's like, they look at something, and they're like, oh, my gosh, um, the lips on that person is red. And that matches this, but the background of this ball, and you're just like, no, I didn't mean that. <laughs> like, how did you make that connection? But it is, it's it's so unique. I'm really excited to play it. I think it's really, really yeah. cool. And an, and an interesting trend I've noticed is that I have a habit of twisting Jonathan's arm to play games. <laughs> this is one that at BGGCon I was not that excited to play, but once we started playing it, I really enjoyed it, and it's one that. I'm really trying to decide if I want to get it, if I want to try to get the, you know, the Polish version or wait for the new artwork. I'm really just trying to decide about this one. That's the thing. With Asmodee taking the game and trying to, they're redoing some of the art. It's not clear how much of the artwork they're redoing. It looks like some of the suspect cards are being redone and more, I would, it's being described as more of a Disney feel more of a cartoony feel and i feel like that really drains quite a bit of the unique qualities i love the artwork it's different it's a little bit it's a little darker but it's not super dark where it's like disturbing or anything Mm -hmm. but the the unique quality of the artwork is a big selling point for me oh i didn't know about the changing of the artwork i kind of agree with you i love kind of the feeling that it gives you it's supposed to give you kind of an eerie feeling Mm -hmm. Yeah, if they change that, I'll definitely keep an eye on it. If, if not, I'll probably end up importing it. Yeah, I'm, I'm just – it's not really clear. They've shown some concepts of what they're working on. I have not seen what they've actually – what they're actually going to do with it. But I'm hoping they don't change the dream cards because, I mean, that's a big part of it. I mean, I don't know how you would change that. I'm not sure if they will. But the locations and the items and the, the suspects, I don't know. I just – it's going to be a hard sell for me if they change that a lot. So that's why I went ahead and bit the bullet and ordered a, the Polish version. Yeah, I might have to get in on that because I think it's a great game. I like how it is. And Asmodee says they're going to be adding in some novelties, which I don't know what that means either. I think they're going to put in a player screen. So for the ghost, you can actually organize your cards a little bit better. Mm. So, And that's that actually leads in to the second part of the punch oh, list. No. So I'm adding a little twist to you now. Twist. So... Punch lists are also known as the things that you fill out when there's little issues or quibbles you have that you believe need to be fixed or something that you don't like about these games. So, of the game that you mentioned, what is something that you wish was done better? Um, if I had to go, and I'll, like I said, I'll stick with uh, Werewolf. I think that funny thing is I, I love where game design is going now. I think that people are starting to address it and i would say that the biggest thing i don't like about werewolf is player elimination and i think that uh, when you see the resistance the resistance has gone huge and i think that it is that feeling of no matter what 
you still stay part of the game, still active. And I think that uh, I think that that became a big hit for that change. I still love Werewolf. I still like Werewolf better than than the Resistance, because I feel like it, it gives you that um, the stakes are higher. But uh, but I still think that sometimes when we're playing a big game of fifteen twenty with the youth group, it's always it's it's tough when like with the first kid to get killed in the first night it's always like it's just a killer pun intended yes it is a killer <laughs> pun intended Ooh, okay so uh yeah so i would say that player elimination i i like to watch the story unfold but i feel like some of those kids like they're just looking so much forward to it and to get voted out the first time it really it really you really want to take be a part of it the whole time yeah no one no one wants to be the first one to die yeah Unless you get to come back as the ghost, and at least you get to do something. That's right. Overpowered. I had to get rid of the ghost because they were getting too good at it. Yeah, absolutely. For me, I've only played Sherlock Holmes once, so I don't know that I can really say what needs to be fixed or changed about it. Maybe it was a little bit too long. Um, maybe it could have been streamlined a little bit, but that's you know very uninformed opinion with only one play down. Absolutely. I mean, it depends on how many clues you want to follow up on. You might go in a completely wrong direction. You think you're onto something, and it's just a complete dead end. Yeah, it can last a little long, especially when you're trying to you get you hit a, a brick wall where you actually have to do some of that deductive reasoning. It doesn't spoon feed you where you need to go, mm-hmm. so you really do have to l- use all the resources. So it, it can bog down a little bit. But I think that's a little bit of the fun. But again, I think if you go into the game knowing what knowing what you're going to be experiencing. It could be a really great, great one. Yeah. And I think for me, the with Mysterium, the the biggest quibble I have, whenever you're playing with more players, trying to manage all those cards as a ghost, having to you know remember flip them over and not reveal what cards each person is is assigned, it's not it's it's not horrible, but it can be a little challenging to kind of manage all those cards. But the one thing that I also am a little worried about with the new edition, the English edition that will be coming out, is there's a lot of inconsistency regarding how the end game is played. In the rules that we played at BGGCon, it pretty much was the Ukrainian rule, because that's all we really had in the box, even though it was the Polish version. Essentially, the ghost gets to look at their cards and then pick which person, location, and item that were assigned to people and use that set. They have to give one clue for the person, one clue for the location, one clue for the item, but you can't tell people which which cards assigned to which aspect. So essentially it's not predetermined. You just have to look at what your resources are and then you just go with one you think you have the best shot of getting the investigators to guess. Which I, I think I kind of prefer that of the two options that currently exist. The Polish version actually has you you only try to solve for the person, not the location or the item. So you just take the suspects that were assigned to everybody, you mix them up, you choose one random, and you have to give clues to help them figure out who the suspect was. So I'm kind of curious, whenever you played, what rule version did you play with? We played the Polish version. I actually think uh, we we won not pretty handily we were but we think we had like two weeks left we still had two more guesses i really think i kind of felt i kind of felt the same way i felt like the ending was a little anticlimactic yeah the thing with the the ukrainian version is essentially you know how let's say you were assigned you know a certain suspect location and object and jonathan was assigned a different set and so they're grouped together so you only you you vote on the grouping so you oh. don't get to say, I think it was your suspect and Jonathan's location. Oh. It's just you have the grouping. So it's a little bit different. But I, I'm, I don't know. I, I, I think that the ending can be improved a little bit just because obviously uh, Portal felt like they needed to change some things or, yeah. uh, or something. But I, I think that the ending will probably end up being tweaked in the English version in some form or another. Overall, I'm huge proponent of Mysterium. I'm very happy that i paid the small premium to get it because Mm -hmm. it's it's a it's a big favorite of mine Mm -hmm. so i think that brings the conclusion of podcast number two 
We make postings for our podcast twice a month. We'll also be putting different articles and possibly even videos up on our website on the off weeks. You can definitely visit us at punchedandplayed.com. You can also find us on YouTube. We're also on Facebook and Twitter and all the other social media places. So if you want to check us out there, definitely look us up. Please like us on iTunes. Absolutely. And on our website, on Punched and Played, you can actually subscribe to our podcast through RSS, or you can actually get us on iTunes as well. So definitely leave a review, give us some feedback, let us know what you like, what you don't like, and how we can improve. Until next time, remember, if you're going to punch them, make sure you play them. <laughs>